I am. It's probably a little bit older. Um, that's $10 in the offering, madam. <laughs> For the next one, it's 20 <laughs> And when I say that in my church, the kids ring my phone. <laughs> so, um, they do stuff to me like that. They also uh, take my best quotes and then misquote them. Um, I won't go there because they're just too dreadful. But... Uh, Yes, yeah, so my church is like your church. We have a bunch of young people. Um, it's an all-age church. It's a, a, originally a Baptist church. Um, I'm an accredited Baptist minister. I trained at Spurgeon's College. My sort of degree specialism is in urban missions and church planting, uh, which was only to get some papers to back up what I'd already been doing prior to that. I got saved when I was 20 by um, discovering in my brother's stuff when he left home a Gideon's Bible which I read and I was shocked to find it was relevant and uh, you know as a completely unchurched person clubber do you know what a clubber is goes out clubbing he'll know what it is uh, probably been over the water maybe but um, you know I used to work my father owned amusement arcades on in this seaside town um, you know which uh, to put that in context is just a license to print money and um, you know so came from fairly poor was adopted into the family at, at the age of two uh, came through and um, you know dad did better and better in business my brother took over that so he drives the Ferraris and the Aston Martins and the Jaguars and all of that stuff and I've got my little car my little Citroen but I have the wealth of the kingdom of heaven at this time and I'm trying to I feel sorry for him because he's so impoverished. He only has stuff. But we have the kingdom, don't we? So, um, yeah, grew up in that. Uh, at the age of 20, found a Bible. This American guy I'd never heard of called Billy Graham came over in 1984, did this thing, went to, I saw these uh, so I, uh, posters in the church saying, come and listen to a man um, who will tell you about life. So I went to the church, a uh, guy across the road um, who had this in his minibus and I said my girlfriend and I would like to come with you um, to this is that okay and he said well I'm sorry we can't take you because all the church people are in the bus and uh, there's no room for you uh, so okay here comes the fish and says catch me catch me and he says no we won't catch you you know um, so anyway we went to the meetings and we got saved and um, made a decision to follow Christ without really knowing what that was we had faith before we had understanding which is often the way isn't it people get saved before they have any doctrine so I went forward and, and said I want to give my life to Jesus great um, is there any questions yeah I'd like to know what's sin and the cross and Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know you're going to find people who get faith and then need the blanks filling in and that we call that's the process isn't it so I went to a, um, a Methodist church got to remember I used to go out at night partying till 4am get up for work at 9 work till midnight and go out and party again till 4am um, during the summer I was also a test engineer so this was my little summer job in the, um, in the, in the fairground um, I am a test engineer um, but that's something else so I went to this really traditional Methodist church you know the old um, what, we, what we used to call hymn prayer sandwich okay do you know what that means Okay, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, turn around, stand up, sit down. You know, one leg in the air, stand up, sit down, and all of that. You know, and it was very, well, you, there was an order to the service. Okay, and do, 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 do. It's going to take from there to there, and you know when it's going to finish, etc. We absolutely loved it. So I'd been in like rave music and nightclubs and all that stuff. I didn't drink alcohol by the way which is very strange for in my culture for an unchurched person but seeing all the drunkness on on in the fairground of all the people I just bought out of that when I was 17 and uh, so I did my hard drinking when I was 16 <laughs> <laughs> like like most six I'm sorry um, there are mums in the room who don't need this information um, and probably police officers so uh, you you know, you go through a stage, you go through these rites of passage, and aren't we just about creating better rites of passage for our young adults than the need to sleep around, the need to get drunk, the need to experiment with drugs? Those are the world's rites of passage. We've got better ones than that. Yeah. And uh, so I got saved, 
went to this Methodist church, absolutely loved it because I was just so happy to be saved, which, you know, on reflection later on taught me something, that salvation is more than the flavor of your music. And evangelism is more than the container into which you put the gospel. If people are truly regenerated and full with the Spirit, they don't care about the wrappings. They're just happy to be with Jesus. And uh, so, you know, if your church growth strategy is cooler music, then what you will disciple are groupies and not followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, just, you know, my opinion. And went from there to this Baptist church down the road because unbeknown to us, our friend got saved as well. Um, at Billy Graham, quite a few, 100,000 did actually, yeah, yeah. in Mission England, 100,000 decisions, um, and people in church said, meh, you know, a uh, lot of those will have fallen away, but I go, I meet major national leaders who say, oh yeah, I got saved in Billy Graham, oh yeah, I got saved through Billy Graham, sovereign move of God, sovereign work of God, if you want to see the gift of evangelist, the gift of the evangelist, look at Billy Graham, it isn't in his words, it's in the grace gift of the evangelist on him that makes 6,000 people at a time stand up and give their lives to Christ. Um, so, uh, went to this other church and uh, there was a guy called John Wimber there. And it was in the early days of him and we were one of the... I have to be careful not to say the first because you'll hear several versions of we're the first church that brought John Wimber over. But in the very earliest times, from the very early, late 70s, early 80s, a guy called Lonnie Frisbee, Frisbee. Um, and John Wimber used to come to my church. So I came to church and the manifest presence of God was there in a Baptist church of all things. Could you believe it? And so for me, that taught me another lesson, that all of that stuff that you see in the Bible is normal and for the church today. By which I mean... Um, in the atmosphere of worship, people would fall down spontaneously, scream, roll around, get delivered, stand up, converted. Um, audible, angelic singing, fragrance in the room, powerful preaching of the Word of God with the conviction that this is for me. So lots of things happening. Church grew really fast, probably five, 500, you know, straight up. Planted four churches in three years. Um, and uh, so the first church of which I was at the age of 20 and a half, maybe 21, involved in planting, uh, they took 120 people out of the church because it was full. Couldn't get in. If you didn't come half an hour early, you didn't get into church. Um, so, it, you know, all of these things that, you know, you hear those stories about um, going to Pensacola, you hear those stories about going to Toronto. I went in May, April, May 94 to Toronto and queued up to get in. And I thought, oh yeah, I remember this. And um, got inside and there's people falling out, you know, fast, you ever seen the washing machine on fast spin? (laughs) You know, all of that stuff, which seemed totally normal uh, because I'd seen it before 10 years earlier. Um, I'll come back to that later. So we planted our first church. Um, 18 months later, we planted our second church, which I was leading. So I've been a Christian maybe two years, and uh, we're in our second church plant. And that taught me another lesson, which is um, church planting is about revelation and passion in the heart, burning like a fire. It's not about methodology. Okay, So whatever I do here is not even secondary, it's tertiary to the fact that you know, if you get a revelation from God that you are to do something, you already have the grace to do it. Okay, if you get the passion, you get the burn in your heart, in that. You know, like if you eat an apple here at an orange this morning, um, but if you eat an apple, apple is simply a seed delivery system, isn't it? That's all it is. You get to eat the fruit, the experience is nice, the experience of eating a nice apple on a nice day is a pleasant experience, but really what it's doing is it's delivering a seed. And, uh, you know, birds are the um, UPS of, the, of nature, aren't they? You know, they, they deliver that seed a long way away sometimes, and you may plant churches a long way away. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not getting the fruit of an encounter with God, in which there is contained a seed of a commission, a call, because that... You know, it's unusual, it's unnatural, isn't it, to have a seedless orange? 
Okay, we create those. We engineer seedless fruit. Nature, nature creates fruit that has seed. By definition, I think, I think it's the same over here, a f the, fr the definition of a fruit is a seed-bearing plant, isn't it? It bears a seed. So when we have the fruit of the Spirit, there's a seed in that encounter with God. And for us it was, um, you see this where you are, it's great, isn't it? Yes, it's great. I used to talk to God like that because I hadn't been trained in unbelief. Okay, because I'd not... I hadn't been to church, see, so no one told me that God doesn't speak to you when you get saved. And you have revelations of heaven and dreams and, you know, words of knowledge and all of those things. No one told me that you had to wait a long time for that. You had to be very spiritual to get those things and very knowledgeable and, and do the Wimber courses. I just started out with that stuff. Um, because I assumed that if it's in the book, it's for now. And I've been sort of bumbling along... Uh, as a gifted amateur ever since, really. Um, and the point is, and this is the point for you guys, we're all gifted amateurs, aren't we? You know, it's wrong to say I'm the expert. The Holy Spirit's the expert. I'm just the silly amateur who believes him. And you guys, I, you know, I ordain you to be in silly amateurs today. You know, just be the silly amateurs who believe God can do it. And uh, don't take no for an answer. So in that apple, there was the seed of the encounter, which is, this is great, but I want this there. And that's all church planting is. Everything to do with methodology will, will flow out of your dialogue and your walk with God. That's why every church can look different. Because it's not about the building, the walls, the color, the sound system, the band the style of music, it's about is there or is there not an encounter with God that delivers a seed that you, as his little sparrow, UPS to somewhere else. And we won't talk about the delivery system, but... Um, so I went and planted uh, our second church and uh, we were... The guy who led the church is now the principal of Spurgeon's College. So we had, it's a very word and spirit country, the United Kingdom. It's very charismatic, but it's also very, um, and a rich tradition of evangelical faith. So um, a fully evangelical faith is charismatic, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and so we, hmm? Some would agree. Some would agree. Well, you know, we, there's not time to talk about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Read the Bible, <laughs> you'll find out. <laughs> so, um, he had the idea to take two 20-year-olds, uh, hitch them up with two 50-somethings, plant the church with them as leaders, where the 20-year-olds did the work of ministry and the 50-year-olds were the anchor guys, as he put it, to just make sure it didn't go pear-shaped and off the road and, you know, belly up and all of those other things so um, and their role was to say you know you're doing great God's got a plan for you he's with you and and just keep going and then they'd come the next word and say you're doing great God's got a plan for you just keep going and we you know we had these two things we had the word of God and we had people who we believed would were, were, were with us and telling us the truth so we learned a bunch of stuff and I remember going to the pastor at the time saying okay you've asked me to leave this church and there's this thing called preaching and, uh, you know, people expect me to stand up and I have nothing to say because I, I, I feel I'm afraid. I'm afraid to preach because I'm being asked to have an opinion about God's Word. I can read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, but I, I'm afraid. So he gave me a book by a guy called Miller, no, it wasn't Millard Erickson, it was uh, Bruce Mel called Know the Truth. And it was my first introduction to systematic theology. As a kid, I used to read encyclopedias and dictionaries for fun which is really weird considering, you know, my other activity was setting fire to stuff and, uh, <laughs> and building dens and throwing rocks at the kids and smashing their dens up over the other side of the field. And it, we just normal kids. But I used to just go into a room and just flick through encyclopedias. Wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. So I was given a, a theological book and went, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And just read for pleasure the doctrines of God because... You know, it's fractal, isn't it? The deeper you look into it, the more detail you see. And then you look into that detail, and there's more detail. And it just goes on and on and on and on. So you never get tired of it, do you? It's just amazing. And, um, and then I went to Bible college. 
And then I planted a church. Then I was doing other stuff. So I've been around the block a few times with uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of of uh, church growth, church failure, um, church uh, catastrophe, um, and uh, church accidental success, where we stumble upon God one more time, and he gets to look good. And if we're really smart, what we do is we take our hands off it, so he continues to get to look good, and then uh, he stays. But when we start to um, put some shrink wrap on it and put it on a CD... Uh, and say, this is mine, not his, he says, okay, I'll just go and do that somewhere else then. And and it's adios at that point, isn't it? And so what we end up with is the routinization of charisma, which is, we start with a a real move of God and on a man or a, a group of men and women, which becomes a movement, which becomes a machine, which finally ends up as a brass statue of the man stood outside his theological college where we all remember the man who once had the, the move of God. Okay? We don't want that one. That we, you know, church history is replete with those experiences, isn't it? Where we now have the C.H. Spurgeon statues and we now have the John Wesley statues. And you know, In our country, uh, Methodism has uh, gone into a big decline like the historic denominations and I heard of a guy talking about all their empty buildings, lamenting the fact that once upon a time they were a revivalist movement. Wesley used to say um, to people, don't climb the trees when you come to my meetings to see me. Why would he say that? Because they fell out of the trees. You read his accounts, he says it's like riflemen shot into the crowd. Fifty men would fall down under the power of God. And here we are, a few centuries later, with our John Wesley statues and our empty buildings, God help us. God help us not to shrink wrap. So our greatest challenge is to keep it fresh and stay alive and be little children who, it's Christmas, and we get to unwrap the presents, and what's going to be in this one? You know, in the presence of people, and we get to just see what God's doing in the, in the life of another person who's coming to Christ and being born again, and Wow, I never get tired of this stuff. But whenever we lose sight of that Christmas, the joy that he feels when he finds one of his presents, you know, Jesus brings another present to the Father and says, here's another one, Father. You know, let's unwrap this one together. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit says, Amen. Let's do this. You know, in the joy of heaven, the Father rejoices over every sinner. He's, no, he's not tired of that yet, is he? So when we tire of it and we say, well, you know, let's do church for us now. Let's not do church for them. Let's do church for us. Um, We stand still, but the cloud keeps moving. And sooner or later, he's so far over the hill, we've lost his trail. So what I'd like to do this morning, um, for for that's the preamble. Is that all right? Um, Is just um, share, and you can hands up, and I'll. You know, sort of bluff my way through an answer for you guys. Um, yeah, you know, let's just stop and, and and have a round table discussion for you guys. And all I'm going to do is share with you what we have learned, what I've observed. And guys, you could be the expert if you're just observant of the Holy Spirit and His ways. That makes you the ob- the expert, doesn't it? You know, your eyes are open. Um, but as I travel around your nation, um, I have a couple of observations for you. Firstly, please don't listen to the newspapers uh, and the radio reports as if they're true. They're not. That is not the truth that you're listening to. You are in the same um, aggressive secular um, culture that we're in in the United Kingdom. There is aggressive atheism. There is aggressive secularization separation of church and state it used to be for a good reason now it's just the tide has turned where secularization has become a tool with which um, instruments of the state and aggressive atheists want to try to bludgeon the church to death and uh, it's the same in our country Um, the BBC has said on record we are institutionally biased against Christianity in favor of Islam Um, 
the law lords in our country which are the same as your high court or supreme judges have said there is no place in this, in this secular society for reference to Christianity in our legal system. We have um, people being taken to court uh, for showing scripture, not anything. You know, um, there's a, a series of uh, NIV on DVD um, things called the Visual Bible. Okay, we show those. The police come to arrest the cafe owner because that's homophobic. Um, to show scripture is to offend a homosexual um, because it may say something uh, that offends their point of view. So the police turn up, take the guy away, caution him, which means you have the right to remain silent, anything you say may be taken down, and under an act of parliament, um, charge him with, um, with it, you know, under public order and this and that and the other, because a lady went into the shop, read something on the screen and said, that offends the homosexuals. I'm going to make a complaint. One complaint is all it takes. They're, uh, they're, they are, the police services are so frightened to upset the, these uh, liberal, militant agendas, they now it's swung the other way. The other side to this, of course, is that um, Christians are receiving a big fat wake-up call. Um, not to, uh, you know, rant as hard as the liberals, um, but just to... Uh, proactively share the gospel, proactively stand up for the faith and bear witness to Christ. And, yeah. and as we were talking about the other day, to say that this Christianity is not merely a private belief. It is a public fact. Yeah. It's not a private belief. It's a public truth. And, um, uh, you know, we're, there are books written about that stuff, gospel and culture Gospel and Culture, Leslie Newbegin, a lot of this stuff is out there um, where some good, solid thinking has been done on these topics, but it's becoming necessary to take some of those frames of thought and think, yeah, that's right. Let me give you an example. Uh, <clears throat> Old guys, take the glasses off to read. Okay, there's a reason why I'm carrying two iPads. Why, why is it? <laughs> there's my wife, Julie. So, no, this one isn't. <laughs> it's uh, what they do. Just by the way, is anything in America that's got a dollar sign on it? They get rid of that one and put pound sign on it in England. It's just not fair, is it? You know, something $400 here, well, they just go, oh, rub that out, put pound sign, 400 pound or 400 euros. It's, uh, so it saves a lot of money. Two British traffic patrol officers from North Berwick, east of Edinburgh, were involved in an unusual incident while checking for speeding motorists on the A1 Great North Road. So, you know, they have those little guns they wave at you. One of the officers, who was not named, used a handheld radar device to check the speed of a vehicle approaching over the crest of a hill and was surprised when the vehicle was recorded at over 300 miles an hour. The machine then stopped working for some reason and the officers were not able to reset it. The radar had in fact locked on to a NATO tornado fighter jet over the North Sea, which was engaged in low-flying exercise over the borders district. Back at police headquarters, a chief constable fired off a stiff complaint to the RAF liaison office. Back came the, the reply in true laconic RAF style. Thank you for your message, which allows us to complete the file on this incident. You may be interested to know that the tactical computer on the tornado had automatically locked on to your hostile radar equipment and sent a jamming signal back to it. Furthermore, the Sidewinder air-to-ground missiles aboard the fully armed aircraft had also locked on to the target. <laughs> Fortunately, the Dutch pilot flying the tornado responded to the missile status alert intelligently and was able to override the automatic protection system before the missile was launched. So, we were talking now saying, I've got to get me one of those in my car. <laughs> 
The point being that um, wherever evil tries to assert itself, it usually overreaches itself. And, uh, you know, the enemy has locked on to us, but the Holy Spirit has locked on to him. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So, you guys, you know, you, you feel a little bit under an onslaught, you know, everything in the media, and oh no, what's happening, what's this government doing next, what are they, you know, we're falling back, we're falling back, we're falling back. We're only being, we're only falling back into taking our stand against the devil's schemes. And sometimes we need a little bit of a prod and a wake-up to say, guys, it's time to get back to the program which is uh, reaching this nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit, um, operating out of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So you're not taking the United States. You're keeping it. Because in the resurrection, Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give you the nations. You know, that's a, a messianic psalm right there, isn't it? You know, kiss the son lest he be angry. You know, lest he lock on to you. You think you've locked on to him, the nations rage and they plot against the Lord and his anointed. You know, doom on you if you keep on that track. You know, there's a warning there, isn't there? And, uh, you know, the, the lion, I, I, on my Facebook I put a quote from C.H. Spurgeon, um, which I'd known from ages ago, but I found it again. And it's basically Spurgeon said, along the lines, uh, in fact, I'd, can I just read this to you? It's quite a good one. No internet. I have got internet. Excuse me one sec. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, the word of God is like a lion, said Spurgeon. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. And the lion will defend itself. And, uh, you know, guys, I want to encourage you to have absolute confidence in the gospel. Absolute confidence. It is, at the risk of sounding just religious and trite, it is the power of God. It It will save people like me just all by itself. You know, people whose um, upbringing is utterly secular. Um, No Christian upbringing whatsoever, not in a church, not associated with a church, finds a Bible and the lion gets let loose and he defends himself. He cornered me. You know, he trapped me and and put me in the cage. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, guys, I want you to know um, uh, and teach this to your people. You know, when you listen to the news, listen very um, critically in in the educational sense of that. You know, think and drink, which is thrinking. (laughs) Be thrinkers, that you can drink of the Holy Spirit in order that. You know, I think, was it Pascal who said, um, I believe in order that I may reason? I might have got that wrong. Someone can look that one up geek out on that one later alright so I want to encourage you guys that um, there are shifts in society I want to talk about those just for a moment but that those shifts work in our favour and as I've gone around uh, I've observed and talked to leaders uh, it's, it's time again to reflect upon what is the true gospel and what is cultural okay and um, celebrate your culture and thank God for all of those bits of your culture that will make it to heaven. Because there will, this, uh, the C.S. Lewis idea in the last battle, you know, this America somewhat corresponds to the real one that's in heaven. Okay? This, and you know, I think it's Lucy, she looks from one mountain to another and she sees England And Aslan or whoever says, no, no, that's not England. What you have is a dim shadow of the real England that's in heaven. So uh, wherever I travel in the world, I remind the people of that world, the very best of your culture is going to make it to heaven. Your music, your food, you know, your, your style, what you like, what you feel at home in that gives you joy that's good and right and true and noble and, and praiseworthy. Those things are there. And somehow, in the grace of God, a little bit of that seeped out of heaven. And you found it, didn't you? 
You know, whether it's Starbucks or, you know, I can't, I can't be definitive about your particular baseball team, but, you know, and it's like, it's like the old joke, isn't it? You know, the angel takes the guy round and, uh, and these are the Methodists and, uh, you know, and they're all sat there debating and these are the Baptists and these are the Pentecostals, hallelujah, you know, and uh, these are the Charismatics, but shh, and he says, why is there a big wall around it? Because they think they're the only ones here. (laughs) So, well, you can put any denomination you like in that one. Uh, But, um, you know, we read Revelation 7, it says, Every nation, tribe, language, and people were before the throne worshipping the Lamb. Now, you know, when I did Old Testament at, at college, you know, one of the things my um, professor told us was um, thinking about, you know, the hymn fragment in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, which is a quote from the Old Testament as well, isn't it? Um, that, not, that some will do that unwillingly, but do it anyway. But I think also that it is true to say that passage does speak that the gospel will be preached to every creature, to every person, that God will have, Jesus will have an inheritance from every nation. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. Okay, so your culture, the culture in the state next to you, the the emerging generations, these seniors, all of that, all of those um, echelons, because you have cultural differences between the age groups, don't you? Never mind between the, you know, one language group and another, one ethnic group and another, you know, and then you look at youth culture, and it isn't youth culture, it's youth cultures. You know, there are multiple cultures, and God's going to get himself an inheritance. Jesus will get the full reward for his sufferings by pulling from all of that. So, um, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be strengthened, and to be somewhat more militant. Um somewhat is a perhaps a little bit passive I want you to go for it guys I want you to absolutely um, get on the offensive you know the enemy has pointed his little radar gun at us it's time for us to deploy our weaponry and our weaponry is stronger than his weaponry for the tearing down of strongholds and for the building up of the kingdom that we have been ordained um, by God and commissioned by God to preach the gospel to every nation, every ethnic, panter ethne. So, um, looking at our culture, and ours is somewhat similar to yours, society is changing. Um, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is always up to date, isn't he? He's always relevant, he's always current, he's always, he's always got a word for that generation that's going to help them. Because the issues that we face are the same issues that the Egyptians faced when they built the pyramids. It's, is there a God? What do we do after life? You know, am I okay? Am I not okay? My child is sick. Um, I'm hungry. Uh, I hate that person. I'm better than that person. All of those issues of the heart are the, the human condition, which carries on in every culture the wrappings the clothing the music everything looks different but the issues of the heart stay the same and the answer to those issues is the same which is Yahweh I am who I am will be what I will be and whatever you need is what I got so we look at culture though but culture shifts all the time doesn't it you know our father's culture is not our culture our culture will not be that of our children. You know, my, um, I remember my youngest son, sorry, my oldest son, who's 25 growing up, and there was no internet, there was no computers, and no web, there was no web stuff 25 years ago. Then came the web, and with the web and uh, computers in the home came something called um, Encyclopedia Britannica and the other one, what was it, Encarta. So h- homework went from being... Uh, you know, reading books and writing essays to command C, command V. <laughs> Cut and paste. Um, and uh, looking for information on the internet through Google. 
uh, now you know it's moved even further so if you're um, internet generation um, you don't go out to play other than online so your friendships can be anywhere in the world uh, you can have you know they they don't buy CDs they don't buy DVDs um, they watch movies on YouTube they listen my son now doesn't even buy off iTunes he just listens to music on YouTube that's all he does does his homework finds the music he likes sets up a playlist and off he goes he's not even bu you know buying it it's not piracy because it's on YouTube but it's they're just things are shifting all the time you know I talk to my 90 year old father and he says man oh man have I seen some change in my lifetime <laughs> you know so things are changing but the word of the Lord stays the same forever does it not and um, I want to just set the context for what you have to uh, consider as a church um, something churchianity um, you know cultural let's, call, let's be nice and assume there is a measure of Christianity in there and call it cultural Christianity that is so heavy laden with the culture it's hard to pick out what's Christianity and what's um, British culture or American culture shall we say Which, where does the line end um, that's dying or has, some would argue, died. So cultural Christianity in the United Kingdom, I'll keep it over there because then that's polite, isn't it? Um, <laughs> cultural Chris Christianity or Christendom, as um, some people call it, has shifted heavily. What does that look like? Well, it means, um, firstly, if Christendom is passing away or has passed away, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today, um, in remembrance of this thing called the church. You say, we're still here. But I'm talking about the notion of church that's prevalent in society. That notion is passing away. The church, in my nation, used to be at the centre of state. The centre of what was going on in the nation. We just had um, um, an atheist from the Atheist Society take a, a local city council to court to ban them from praying a prayer at the beginning of the city council saying in your terminology that's unconstitutional you are not allowed to pray in that meeting now as it happens the Christians are now awake full armour of God stuff they went and challenged that and uh, the government which happens to be a conservative government have said that's ridiculous we're going to change the law so that people can't do that alright so it's a good ruling but the fact of the matter is that um, churchianity that used to be at the centre of culture where you would say things like God save the Queen or God bless America with an assumption that people would be saying Amen that's past it's gone church has gone um, or Christendom has gone from being the majority in a society to the minority in a society okay cultural Christianity in our, our country has uh, shrunk heavily down to or, or more corresponding to the invisible church the church of Jesus Christ do I need to explain that okay the visible church is the buildings with people sat on chairs the invisible church, the one that will pass through history, is the ones who are saved, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. Okay. Um, so the church visible is shrinking and becoming um, the church actual. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to look at, isn't it? We're moving from being settlers to sojourners. We're, uh, or to use your terms, we're pioneers again, not ranchers. And uh, it's about um, saying, do you know what? There's a, there's a new um, village or there's a new estate being built over there and they never thought to put any community facility in that. So we now have 2,000 homes without any Christian witness whatsoever. This is a dormitory for the city down the road. People live there. They travel to there. But their lives are devoid of the hope that we carry and we need to put something there. So we're being moved again to become um, pioneers. 
rather than settlers. Well, you know, there's a church here, there's a church there. And if you drive to my country through it, you'll, you'll note how many buildings there are in the way that there are here. But they're empty. A lot of them are empty. Uh, being bought by um, Muslims to turn into mosques. We've moved from a place of privilege. You know, uh, Christianity is the faith. Well, what faith are you in Great Britain? I'm Church of England. What does that mean? Well, I'm Church of England. I'm English. Church of England. That no longer applies. You could be of many faiths. So now when they open, we have a public thing to open something and they invite all the dignitaries, they'll invite um, the bishop, but they'll invite the imam, they'll invite the Hindu uh, priest, they'll invite the Sikhs. You have to do all of that. You have to you know, say, you know, it's not just one faith, but many faiths. You'll also find that um, we've gone from being able to uh, censor um, the values of society to witness to society about our values. Do you understand that one? There is. We can no longer say, you can't show that movie. But we can say, um, that offends the Christian faith. You know, and all of those weird Jesus movies that came out over the last t 10 years. We, we've no longer got any rights. Now, if you were to show an Islamic um, Monty Python movie, it would, ne it would never be made. You know, it would never get made because of their militancy. Okay, so we've gone from control to witness. We've gone back from maintenance to mission. Churches that think they're going to just be there forever and ever and ever are the dying churches. Uh, we've gone back to the point where we are here. We understand our purpose is to reach the lost, the unchurched, those outside our four walls. This is an organization in business for those who aren't here. And uh, from being the institutional church to a movement where we have to network, we have to connect with other groups, we have to have alliances and partnerships, we have to relate to other people and resource one another for the common purpose of mission. So it matters that we connect to other leaders. It matters that our church reaches out with grace to another church, that we're not in competition, we are collaborative in style and in philosophy and uh, you know for your church to be in competition with the church down the road is to simply either be blind stupid or impoverished take your pick you are not in competition with other churches you know in our country I, I, you know you plant a church and what will happen is all the other pastors will I'll say, oh no, oh no, now the cake's going to get sliced into thinner slices. You know, it used to be four slices, then it was eight. Now it's 16, and now he wants to make it 25. I can't believe it. You know, I'm going to get a slither this big. Okay, that's maintenance. That's where we simply look at what we've got and shuffle the sheep around. If every person in Britain decided to get out of bed and go to church there would be 2,000 people in every building. There are not enough churches. There are not enough. And then you add on to that, well, the DNA that we carry is different to the church down the road. So we bring something different, at which point you say, hmm, who do you think you are? You know, to think you have a right to do that? Well, you know, when you get married, do you think you have the right to have your children that look like you? And do you celebrate that? And shouldn't the community, the whole community, celebrate when the town has children and the schools are full? And don't we lament when the, the, there's no children in the schools and the schools are closing? Don't we start to think, there's something wrong with this picture? And so what we have is a DNA. And, and so we humbly, we marry the Lord, we, we, um, he speaks, he downloads, we receive, uh, you know, the seed of... Jesus and we become pregnant with the vision that he has given us and we will produce the, the child that is our child and that child will take its place amongst the other children in the community and so our church movement adds positively to the whole church the church that's in your city yes. is enriched by you being here yes. but there's been a shift yes. 
And you can't assume anymore that the church is at the centre of the town. It isn't. Um, in the same way, I think it's the Mapamundi. Um, Jerusalem was at the centre. Is that the Mag... I can't remember. I think it's the... No, it isn't. Map of the world. The big... Is it Magna Carta? can't remember. Anyway. But it showed Jerusalem at the centre of the map. And that's no longer the case. Yeah. God's at the centre was the point. And he is. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. Well, it's, it's your turn. We used to have an empire and now we don't. Largest map ownage was this tiny little island in the middle of the sea. And uh, it lasts for a season. Empires rise and fall, guys. I see another empire coming where they speak Cantonese. And there's tons of born-again Christians. Probably as many as here. <coughs> so, you know, that's what's happening to the church. But then when you look at society, you also look at um, the fact that the way people thought is shifting as well. It used to be. Do you remember Star Trek? Boldly go where no man has been before and science can fix everything. Science got all the answers. And if we just would become more scientific and more, um, you know, reductionist and rational, then we all figure out every problem. And our children don't believe that story. And so, um, hmm? for good reason, for hard good reasons. You know that um, in the Enlightenment we devolved or we separated um, Christian ethics from, from economics. And now accountants rule the world. We have cost center management and... Uh, you know, nations and villages and cities just get knocked off the end of a spreadsheet, regardless of the impact that that will have on the people who live there. That's the Enlightenment. And now people are moving beyond that. Uh, we're moving beyond, in society, truth is absolute. It's now relative. What you believe is good for you, what I believe is good for me, it's all relative. And so it's really hard to take our gospel message that G there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. This is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we all say hallelujah and amen because we believe that. But there are kids growing up saying, really? In the face of all these other faiths? So it provides with us an for us an opportunity. Um, there's a rejection of institutionalism that the institutions of state have all the answers. Well, the state will look after us. That might be a bit of a British thing. You know, the state will look after us. Um, well, we're talking there about something slightly different, which is a poverty trap through social care. That's another issue. But the idea that, um, you know, the, the education system, the governmental systems are trustworthy and have all the answers. The government will figure this out. It just doesn't apply to young people. They are hugely sceptical of authority figures. It corresponds at the same time to uh, the breakdown of the nuclear family, the loss of fatherhood, the loss of um, the safety of family. You're on your own. We have mosaics growing up with a belief matrix, even in the church. So look at that one. Um, you know, kids... Uh, well, people my age, they just don't, we're not into denominations. Yeah. We're not into this. You know, I li I've got my Bill Johnson podcast. I've got my John Arnott conference. I'll go and see a bit of Georgian. I'll, you know, garnish that lightly with a little bit of uh, this, that and the other. And I'll put all of that together and that's what I believe. Yeah. And we have to look at that. We can't say, you know, you're now in Partners in Harvest. And that's what we believe in. These are our core values. And you can't listen to that person because it's not faithful to the denomination. You know, I used to get hauled over the coals for that in the Baptist denomination maybe 20 years ago. But it just does not apply. It's not even on the grid. So when we're raising up kids, we have to accept the fact they're going to be, um, they're going to eat from and drink from many pools. You just have to try and help them to have the discernment to know if that pool has poison in it. <laughs> if the water's sweet or the water's not sweet. How to filter, yeah. And, uh, and other stuff as well. And I'm sort of... Yeah, secularization, blah, blah. 
Um, yeah, another stuff. The good part is that corresponding to all of this, people are hugely in touch with their spirituality. Hugely in touch with it. Um, in, I'll just try and look at these figures here. In 1997, people were asked um, about are events in, that we're seeing the hand of God or not, providential? In 1997, 28% said yes to that. In the year 2000, 55% said yes to that. Doubled. People seeing God at work, having a spirituality that said there is a higher power. Um, on all of these, um, providence, the presence of God, God is real, answered prayer, God is involved in nature, there is a divine um, connection between nature, you know, there's a creator. Um, what would you call that? Intelligent design? Okay, that's the evangelical way of putting it. But the idea that, you know, you hug a tree, you're touching something of the divine. Um, all of those things have gone up hugely. And the biggest one that's gone up is the belief in the presence of evil. But the belief in evil in the world. Not just things go wrong and it's bad, but there is something at work which is evil. Look at the pro proliferation of um, TV shows and movies that, that tell that story. Look at the proliferation of spiritual shows in the world. And I can't, I mean, I'll give you some idea of how out of touch I am. You know, I, I, I would normally quote Buffy <laughs> at this point. But what are the modern ones? Come on, guys. You know, say a few. Yeah. Medium, is that one? That sort of show where people... Are, okay, you know, they used to be called necromancy, didn't it? Yeah. The consultation with spirits, dead people. But it's just, it's totally acceptable. It's entertainment. It's hit popular culture that there are those things out there. But if you were to question, well, you, okay, you believe in evil spirits, you, you know, you believe that um, there's something out there. Yeah, but do you believe in a good God? Maybe there's something out there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the representation and the image of God? Nah. You know... And so we have some work to do, but the positive is there is huge spirituality. And kids have got beyond just accepting propositional truth from institutions and authority figures. They want spirituality that they can sample. Experiential um, faith. So what do we do? What are we about? We are presence-based church. It's our time. It's our time. You know, we have the truth. We have good doctrine. But we also are going through a process of restoration in which, um, you know, God is revealing his near presence. We're, you know, you look at how many kids. I, I teach at Heidi School. I, I went out there um, November. Oh, I'm sorry, Heidi Baker, Heidi and Roland Baker. Okay, Mozambique, that's part of our partner's family where 10,000 churches plus hide in, in, in the continent of Africa. And uh, I teach at their school. 300 Western European and North American kids go to that school. They said, we could double this school. We just don't have the infrastructure. I mean, out there, literally, they don't have w running water. So if 500, you know, guzzling chomping westerners show up there's no food left for anyone so they have to they literally have resource issues but you look at ihop thousand kids going through the school you look at bethel thousand kids go, going through the school every every term every time they they are an indicator of of the shift that has taken place the kids are drawn to the bethel school because they're going to get to do the stuff it's very vineyard isn't it they're going to go and release the kingdom of heaven to the earth they want experiences. They'll travel the world to meet God. And one of the, is uh, Jason coming? Jason Aldridge? Okay, there's a young fellow that I met out in Africa last time I was out there that I had a prophetic word for. But, you know, when I chatted with Jason, I wish he was here, I asked him, why did you, why did you go? Why, why are you here? Because I just need to sample this. 
you know, to be part of, I mean, he went and helped and did really great work, but also a lot of the young people are going because they think that they will see God move in that place. They want to see the deaf ears open, the blind eyes seeing. They want that stuff. They want it in the supermarkets. They want healing on the streets. They want treasure hunting, words of knowledge where they will get a prophetic, um, uh, you know, impression from God. Go and, um, you know, meet that person. You'll meet this person on the road and they'll be doing this and that and the other. Anyone think that's weird? No? I don't. Yeah, I seem to remember Philip did that one, didn't he? Go, just go and stand down there, Philip. Uh, go and stand over next to that guy there on the, on the chariot. Ask him what he's reading. <laughs> you know, treasure hunting is New Testament. Amen. Okay? It used to be called Words of Knowledge, but you sell more CDs at the moment off calling it treasure hunting. So, um, yeah, but it's the same deal. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who shows up and gives you an image, impression or a picture on which we act. And then there's fruit. And so kids have just jettisoned, sit down, listen to this stuff, and then we're going to you know, give you an exam paper. Don't turn it over until we tell you. Okay, turn it over, begin. What is the doctrine of the Trinity? You know, and, and so on. We need those um, safety barriers. Yeah. We need good doctrine. But we want three-dimensional Christianity. Yeah. I could show you a picture of a bowl of fruit. But isn't it? That's my charts. But imagine here there's a bowl of fruit. And, and you see... You know, and then they'll find out who the prophetic people are, won't they? <laughs> but, um, you know, I could show you a, a picture and say, look at this. And you see, kids are tired of church where every Sunday they come and we just say, look, look, here it is. Look at this beautiful picture of all these things in the Bible that you're not going to sample. And we give them history lectures. And we tell them of the sweet by and by. But they want, they want to sample, they want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so they're going to just gravitate to the places where that's happening. Unfortunately, um, for the decades in which the church went through the Enlightenment and liberal doctrines and, you know, cessationism and... Did I, oh, I mentioned liberal doctrines, didn't I? Cessationism. Um, they, um, they have found those things somewhere else in the New Age movement. So, you know, there are some guys out there saying, you know what, we need to get our stuff back. We need to recover some of these mystical experiences. I mean, even saying that, you know, oh, you, know <laughs> you know, let's have a trance party where we all wait and see if we can get into a trance. Ooh, I'm not sure this guy, I'm not, I thought he was okay. I thought he was from England and he was a Baptist. He's talking about trances. And let's in these weird trances believe that God's going to tell us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. Uh-oh. That go against the scripture as we know it. As Bill Johnson would say, they're not on the list. And he's, he's gone very quiet now. Isn't that what Peter did? Isn't, isn't that what happened to him? He went on his roof for a doze and he ended up in a trance and God showed him all of these unclean, unkosher animals and said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. I will not do it, Lord. And, uh, you know, kids are wanting the out there experiences. Now, some of it is immature, but some of it is a passion. and an, so God's doing something under the ground. Something is being raised up. And just even in the church... There's a ground surge of kids after the adventure of God. And it is incumbent upon us at this time in our, in our existence as the church to embrace them, embrace their aspiration and provide a legacy for them of faith and uh, you know, really move forward. So I, I just want to end with, um, on that note for this part and then we're going to just take five minutes comfort break if that's alright and I'm going to swap on something else. And you can answer your questions or ask your questions. You can't see it very well. I don't know whether, or maybe, let me see if I can, eh, no, maybe not. Oh, there it is. Okay, that symbol there is uh, the Cantonese symbol for crisis. Crisis, and it's made up of two words for threat and opportunity. Ah. And at this time in the in the life of the church, there's a threat. 
And the threat is that the threat is we go the way of all things. We we so hold on to the culture of our day that when it passes away, we pass away with it. But the opportunity is that if we hold on to the coattails of him who is the same yesterday to Tim forever, who is always up to date, who is always relevant and current, who always has the goods and what we need, if we hold on to him and not the past, not the wrappings, not the delivery system, then he will continue to keep us fruitful in the harvest where he wants us to be. He says, still today, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are white unto harvest. Yes, there are threats, but the opportunities are huge. So I want to I encourage you, celebrate the weirdness. Okay, celebrate the weirdness. Um, the stigma of the anointing, as Artie Kendall would put it. Celebrate, you know, the, the, he actually calls it the yuck factor. You know, um, when the Holy Spirit shows up, something in my rebellious flesh says, Oof, this isn't right. And then what we do, because we're having an uncomfortable, challenged by the Holy Spirit moment, is we deploy our theology to back up why we feel uncomfortable. Karl Barth speaks about that one. Sloth is, I think the word he uses, slowness to approach God, but derived from our rebellion. You know, and we find all kinds of fancy ways to say why we're not going to do what God wants us to do. Five times God had to ask Moses to fulfill the call. Five times. And in the end, he just shouts at him. says, get it done. <laughs> I'm thick of lip and heavy of tongue, is what the Hebrew says. And, you know, we are living in a day when God is on the move and we're on the move with him. And if we'll just push through and we'll celebrate, okay, Lord, this doesn't look the same as it used to. And we'll be okay with, um, you know, God bringing in really strange people to church who don't tick the boxes and, uh, and using them yeah. without correct, you know, they've not jumped through all the hoops yet. Yeah. Um, they're going to reach the, the lost and we can go with them. There is a generation of young people being raised up. Tattooed, earring wearing, nose pierced, eyebrows pierced, you name it. If it moves, they pierce it. And, and God is using them to reach nations. I have a few in my church. And I have to deal with those who say, that, you know, I'm getting religious on this one. I don't like those piercings. I don't like that attitude. I don't like that music. And I'm saying, guys, go with it. God's on the move. Look for the real fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is repentance towards God through faith in Jesus Christ, issuing itself in, in believer's baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And everything else is secondary right. if they're getting saved. Yeah. You know, and then I seem to remember God wrestled with Jacob in the river and he wasn't fixed up entirely at that moment in his life. Yeah. Okay? And uh, I'm certainly pra pragmatically learning to get people where they are and fix them on the way. Church became a museum piece with entirely perfected, restored um, edifices, artifacts that have all been cleaned up and are all pretty and all nice but never go anywhere. Okay, do you, do you, want, a muse do you want a Model T Ford that will never leave the museum and you come in every week and you polish that thing up and you celebrate it and you make sure the battery's charged just so that you can pip the horn. Or do you want to be in a 4x4 four four, out in the fields where it's muddy and dirty and smells of poop? <laughs> but God's there. Yeah. He says, I'm in the fields, come with me. Mm. And guys, that's what you are called to. And it will get messy. But if you go with him instead of trying to create museum then you're going to have the ride of your lives. I've rode in a Jeep for the first time. I, I've motocrossed, I've done all kinds of off-road stuff, but my first ride in a 4x4 in a, in a woodland through the snow and the mud was at Gary's place. I absolutely loved it. And got, you know, He's like dodging the branches coming in his windows and I'm having fun getting it bogged down. But my, man, I had fun. And when we go where Jesus is, where the wild things are, we're going to have fun, aren't we? church should be fun. Okay, we'll stop there. Any questions before we just... Uh, are we done? What time do we do till? Well, I mean, if people are willing to stay, we're willing to talk. We can go.
Oh, no. I'm always willing to talk. That's a bad thing. That's not my dad taking me to a motorbike shop and saying, is there anything you want, son? Okay, well, questions? I have a question. Is the invisible church growing? The invisible church is always growing. Yeah. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I mean, that's, a, that's not an unusual... Um, speaking to our learned colleague over here, you, you, you understand that one, don't you? The invisible church is a doctrine? Um, I, might be, I might be giving away some of my theological persuasions here by using such language, but um, 